did they find out who's the real murderer? It was never solved. You just described a movie. I think so, no? Yeah, right. It's so many plot twists. This one feels real to me for one reason and one reason only. Of course they were too stupid to steal the actually valuable things. <laughs> What happened to the guy? Oh, they think he died. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this episode of the I Should Have Known podcast, the trivia podcast that can't be trusted. Each week, our quiz master presents you with four big facts on a topic, but one of those facts is a lie. We are continuing Halloween for our theme this month, and today your quiz master is Tanner. Hello. And Tanner is doing a find the fake story time episode on true crime. So he will read for us four stories of crimes, but one of those crimes he invented. So join me, Andy, and our other host, Soups, in trying to figure out which one of his stories is a lie. Yeah. I'm nervous about this. <laughs> Spooky. For many, many reasons. Yeah. One of them, though, is I don't know if I'm going to be able to live with you at the end of this. <laughs> you know, depending on the crime you invent, I don't know. Living with a murderer. I feel like I already live with a murderer. Tanner has a lot of murdery tendencies. Oh, okay. He writes super, super small and like fills the entire page. Mm -hmm. It's really terrifying. His notebooks are <laughs> literally look like the scribblings of a psychopath. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I'm also from the Midwest, which is where a lot of serial killers are from. Oh yeah. yeah. Right. Yes. And I'm also nervous because I am not a fan of true crime. Mm -hmm. I find it very strange. There are a lot of theories about like why people are obsessed with this macabre thing, you know, like it's dead people. Like yeah. it actually happened to somebody. Mm -hmm. The victims are real. Mm -hmm. That's true. Creeps yeah. me out. I don't get it. Yeah. I like kids movies. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently people like true crime because it's like cathartic. Yeah. Or like it's a safe place to experience thrills and fear. But I don't get why they have to be real. Yeah, that's the part that I don't like. Like watch a horror movie, read a Greek play. Yeah. <laughs> But we're going to try to keep it not distasteful today. <laughs> <laughs> This should be interesting. So three of these crimes really happened. Yeah. And one of them is not a real crime. Okay. Oh, okay. So let's start with the low hanging fruit. Who ushered in the modern age of true crime literature in 1965 with his four-part serial In Cold Blood. Oh, Truman Capote. Yes, Truman Capote wrote his nonfiction novel about the murder of four family members on a Kansas farm. So he kind of jump-started this idea of true crime. So it was a real crime. He kind of fictionalized it a little. Yeah. In the 50s, these people were murdered. And so he like interviewed people around the town and then he wrote like a novel about it. Mm -hmm. But it's based on a true crime. Mm. Interesting. Okay. Let's do it. Crime number one. Oh boy. I call it L.A. Homicide. Oh, wow. Very creative. June 12th, 1994, near Los Angeles. 6.30 p.m. to sometime before 9 p.m. Nicole and her friend Ronald go out for dinner and then return home. 9 p.m. to 9.45 p.m. Nicole's ex-husband, Orenthal, says he was at McDonald's for dinner and then returned home. 10.15 p.m. A neighbor hears Nicole's dog barking. 10.40 p.m. Orenthal's limo driver tries to reach him to prepare for his flight, but cannot. 11 p.m. The limo driver sees a six-foot-tall, shadowy figure walk across Orenthal's driveway. He tries buzzing Orenthal again. This time, reaching him, Orenthal says he overslept and took a shower. 11.45 p.m. 
Orenthal departs on a flight from L.A. to Chicago. 12.10 a.m., Nicole and Ronald are found stabbed to death at Nicole's house. Detectives find bloody footprints and clothes, presumably left by the murderer. 5 a.m., detectives arrive at Orenthal's house. They find bloody stains in Orenthal's driveway and car. When a detective informs Orenthal that his ex-wife is dead, he responds, Who killed her? Four days later, Orenthal is charged with two counts of murder. Instead of going in for questioning, he writes a suicide note and flees. He's ultimately brought in after returning home. His blood is found on the clothes left at the crime scene, and the boot print fits his shoe size. However, the police and detectives repeatedly mishandle evidence, and the sole detective to find the bloody clothes has a history of racist behavior. October 3rd, 1995. It takes the jury a mere four hours to unanimously find Orenthal not guilty. Wait, what? Oh my god. Did they find out who's the real murderer? It was never solved. Because it was definitely that guy. (laughs) I mean, it's always ex-husband. Come on. Wow. Wow. That's cool. I mean, cool in this sense. Yeah, what? <laughs> Wait, what? Seriously? That's, it's what? It's a cool story. <laughs> this is why people like these podcasts. I know, I know, oh right? God. This is an interesting one because I feel like when you talk about the U.S. and like the criminal justice system, there are major problems. Mm-hmm. And so this seems like a situation where the cops messed up because, come on, man. Like, I definitely murdered those people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, with all the timings, because it would be hard for someone to actually murder and then plant all these evidence. Right. How'd they get that guy's shoes Mm -hmm. and his blood at the crime scene? Right. Like, even if the cops were corrupt AF, Mm -hmm. how did they get that guy's blood? Yeah. Also, I like his response. The first thing he says. That's the guiltiest (laughs) shit I've ever heard right there. Like, oh, your wife's dead. Who killed her? (laughs) And not like, how did she (laughs) die? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, How did he know she was killed? Yeah, that's true. That's some telltale heart (laughs) shit. Right there. Yeah, okay. All right. But the question is, did Tanner make it up? I mean, this is a bloody good plot line. Like this. <laughs> it's very simple. Right. I feel like it's probably a real one. I don't mm-hmm. think Tanner made it up because it's just too simple. Yeah. Very, it like, sounds like one of those John Grisham. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like that's going to be the trick of this episode yeah. is Tanner's story. He didn't truly invent Right. I think he probably took a fictional crime mm. and is just going to retell right. it as a true crime. So I think his lie is going to be a story that we would maybe be familiar with. I don't think Tanner Ooh, invented it. That's interesting. I've read a lot of crime novels indeed. Oh. Yeah, I feel like an episode of Law and Order or something yeah. talking yeah. about how like, well, the or, police are corrupt and the criminal justice system <laughs> isn't just about finding the guilty parties. It's about protecting and serving justice and Bum, bum. Dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's kind of too simple a crime. You have to hear the other three. Okay. Crime number two, skyjacking. November 24th, 1971. A man in a business suit with a white shirt and a black briefcase boards a plane in Portland, Oregon, bound for Seattle. In the partly full 30-minute flight, he sits towards the back. 12.50 p.m., the flight takes off and he orders a bourbon and soda. After takeoff, he hands a flight attendant a note, but he's disregarded. He whispers to her, Miss, you'd better have a look at that note. I have a bomb. The note reads that he demands $200,000, a refueling truck in Seattle, and four parachutes. He shows the attendant the apparatus inside his briefcase, and she goes to the captain to inform the pilot. 
The pilot alerts air traffic control in Seattle and tells the passengers there's a mechanical issue. The man orders another bourbon and soda. The FBI and police gather the ransom money and skydiving parachutes in Seattle. 5.24 p.m., the man is informed his demands have been met. He instructs the pilot to land. A manager from the airline delivers the ransom money and the passengers are allowed off the plane. The plane is refueled and the man informs the crew that they will be flying to Mexico City. 7.40 p.m., the flight takes off again. The man sends the attendant into the cockpit. 8.13 p.m., a warning light tells the pilot the tail stairs have been deployed as a heavy rain falls outside. 10.15 p.m., the plane lands in Reno for refueling without the man in the business suit. July 2016, the FBI officially ends the investigation into the only unsolved case of air piracy in the history of commercial aviation. He was never seen again. Wow. I like that that wasn't a murder. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Nobody died. (laughs) What happened to the guy? Oh, they think he died. Oh. (laughs) Okay. Again, is this a movie? I know Tanner didn't invent this. Mm -hmm. I I feel very confident he did not invent this Mm -hmm. because there's no way he could have. This is too creative. But is it a movie? Mm. I feel like if it was a movie, then it would have been solved. Oh, no. I feel like it's very, like, novel to be like, they never saw him again. Yeah. I mean, novel makes sense. But I think the movie version would always, like, they would close it up, like, nah. somehow. You know, they would fade to black and, like, <laughs> on the stormy sky. And then just the words would pop up saying, like, yeah. the man was never seen again. Because like, <laughs> if it's real, <laughs> wow, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. I mean, so far between the two, if I had to pick, I would pick this one as yeah, the fake one. Right. Yes. Also, nice track record FBI on air piracy. Also, <laughs> how many air piracy cases do they have? Are they like three for four? Or are they like <laughs> oh for one? Like, what are they? Yeah. Okay, yeah. let's move on to story number three. Okay. Crime number three, old friends. Summer 1996, a British lord extorts a young man to murder the lord's old friend. The young man's mother hears of this and instead of going to the authorities, coerces the young man's professor to commit the murder. June 30th, 1997. The Lord's old friend returns home with his protege. They find intruders and the old friend locks his protege away while he confronts them, armed and ready. The young man attacks the old friend and disarms him. The young man takes aim but won't kill him. The young man's professor enters with an entourage. The professor aims at the old man, shoots him in the chest, sending him flying out the window. May 2nd, 1998. The Lord tracks down the professor and has him killed. As the professor is on his deathbed, the protege finally learns the truth. The Lord had previously poisoned his old friend, who was slowly dying. So to end his suffering, he requested the professor mercifully kill him. The protege takes up arms against the Lord, and in an intense battle, the Lord inadvertently shoots himself dead. You just described a movie. I think so, no? Yeah, right. It's so many plot twists and Yeah, turns. nobody's got names. Yeah. British lords. Like, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. There's a British lord involved. But there is a war going on. <laughs> hmm. I feel like this is a movie. Otherwise, like, where'd all these details come from? How did anyone know what the guy said on his deathbed? Did he reported it to the police? What about the mother? Yeah. 
Yeah. Like, hey, why don't you kill him and let my son yeah. not do all of this? Now the question to me is like, what movie is this? Mm. I guess maybe if you found like a narrative source for like a really ridiculous British crime. Very skeptical of this one. I guess that would mean the plane jacking is real though. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, now between the three ones, I would pick number three. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Also, Tanner always puts his lies number three. And he thinks we don't know it. <laughs> no, I don't know. We'll yeah. see. We have one more to we'll hear. See. Crime number four. Pickles the dog. March 20th, 1966. The World Cup trophy was on display in a stamp exhibit in central London. On the second day of the exhibit, while the security guards were on an afternoon break, it was stolen. The thief didn't bother with stamps worth over three million pounds and instead only took the 14-inch, eight-and-a-half-pound, gold-plated, sterling silver trophy on a lapis lazuli base. Scotland Yard shows up and two leads are found, a tall person or a short person. One theory for this heist was that two people broke in through the emergency exit, swiped the trophy, and walked out. A telephone call to the chairman of the Football Association leads him to a ransom note, £15,000 for the trophy's return. The chairman agrees, and a meeting is arranged. An undercover agent with a suitcase full of newspapers and a layer of £5 notes arrives at the drop-off point. The thief shows up and is promptly arrested. But... He pleads that he was an innocent middleman and that the real thief is a man called the Pole. March 27th, 1966. A man named Dave was out for a walk with his dog Pickles when Pickles began sniffing around his neighbor's car. Dave finds a package wrapped in newspaper and string. He tears off the paper and reads the words Brazil, West Germany, Uruguay printed on a shield. He brings the package to the authorities, who initially suspect him of the theft of the World Cup trophy. Ultimately, Dave and Pickles are cleared of any charges. Dave is awarded £5,000 as a reward. And Pickles, the four-year-old collie, is awarded a silver medal by the National Canine Defense League. The trophy is given to Brazil in 1970 for their victory in the World Cup. And in 1983... It is stolen again, never to be recovered. You mean the Football World Cup, the trophy right now that we have is like a completely different one? Second version. What? There's a second Se- crime. Crime on crime. crime. <laughs> this one feels real to me for yeah. one reason and one reason only. Of course, they were too stupid to steal the actually valuable things. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's some dumb guys, some jocks who are like, hey, we'll steal the trophy. It'll be great. Like $3 million stamps, which you can just slide in your pocket. Yeah. You know, Pickle's not finding no stamp in your pocket. <laughs> in fiction, they would be smarter. smarter. The whole plot, like even though the last story was also British, this feels more real. It sounded like a report. Yeah. Right. Who's the poll? It was mm. never confirmed. The poll. It does sound like a movie, though. Yeah. You know, like, we're going to steal the World Cup trophy. And apparently people were into that because it happened yeah. more than once. It could very well be a Guy Ritchie film. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It yeah. sounds like a Guy Ritchie film because now I know who Guy Ritchie is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This comic crime, like, Yeah, you know? and it being kind of a bit, like, stupid. Mm-hmm. Like, literally, like, 
the stamps. But who knows? Yeah, but those are some really good stories. Yeah. I like that they weren't all murders. Yeah. So we are going to have to figure out which one we think you invented or used from elsewhere. So can you just repeat the titles of the stories for us? And then we'll take a guess. Sure. Crime number one, L.A. homicide. Crime number two, skyjacking. Crime number three, old friends. Crime number four, pickles the dog. One of those is not a true crime. Okay, I think we can discard number one. I think one. I know. That sounds unfortunately very real. Yeah. I feel like there are a million stories like that. Yeah. yeah. That guy definitely killed his ex-wife. So two, three, four. Three. <laughs> That's a movie or something, a book or something. I know, right? Old I'm... friends, even like the police didn't give them names. Pickles the dog had a name. I cannot reveal their names. Well, yeah, because then it would tell us what movie it's from, obviously. I mean, also, yeah, if number three is the lie, yeah. then that means number two is real, <laughs> which, which is, is pretty unbelievable. <laughs> for a second, let's park number four as true, because I have a feeling it's possible. Yeah, between those three, mm-hmm. then... Four, I would think, yeah. is the most real. Okay. Yeah, I also think there's something off about number three, but two sounds... Two is wild. Yeah. So I'm going with number three. Okay. I also think there are really good chances of number three, but number four, maybe. Okay. Mm-hmm. It also sounds like a plot of a movie. So. Yeah. Your answers are locked in, three and four. Number one, if I told you his full name is Orenthal James and he fled in a white Ford Bronco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I was about to say like, oh, the first one's yeah. kind of sounds like OJ. Yeah, and then I was OJ. like, oh, it is OJ. That's OJ. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Orenthal James yeah. Simpson. Yes. But eventually he was found guilty in a civil case. So yeah. they did get some justice. Yeah. Yeah. Number two is also true. That is one of the most notorious crimes in American history, (laughs) still unsolved. Dan Cooper or D.B. Cooper. Yeah. And number four is true. Yeah. Pickles the Dog is a real story about the real theft of the World Cup trophy. It sounds like it's stranger than fiction, but it is... Yeah. Real. Yeah. So number three is Number three it is. Number three. Okay, but what's the source material? It's a book and a movie. It's a book and a movie. And and you think I would know it? You both definitely know it. No, okay. You're killing me. Just give it to Harry Potter. Oh my God. God. Blood Prince. Of course. So Lord Voldemort is technically British. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's the most interesting thing that you can... I knew it was going to be like a totally different genre. Yeah. Yeah. Snape kills Dumbledore. Yep, sure. Oh, my God. That was driving me nuts. So all the characters, the British Lord is Voldemort. Yeah. His old friend is Albus Dumbledore, Mm -hmm. who actually saved him from an orphanage when he was a kid. The young man who vows to kill Dumbledore is Draco Malfoy. Yeah. His mother asks... Snape to make a vow to actually kill Dumbledore so her son doesn't have to do it. And then she's never charged with any crimes oh, or anything. Yeah. She gets off scot-free. I completely yeah. forgot about the like plot of that one. And then the protege is, of course, Harry, Harry Potter, Potter. Yeah. who watches Dumbledore get killed by Snape. Yeah. And then only when Voldemort kills Snape does Harry find out that Dumbledore actually asked Snape to kill, kill him, him because yeah. he was yeah. dying. Yeah. Man. And it does take place in the nineties. Yeah, That's like a thing. Yeah. yeah. I would just not associate like Lord and Voldemort. I mean yeah. like, oh, he's called Lord Voldemort. Yeah. Yeah. That's his title. <laughs> yeah, okay. Makes sense. Wow, fantastic. Wow. wow. I should have known. I should have known. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the I Should Have Known podcast. We'll be continuing our Halloween theme for the rest of the month. We officially have done true crime yes. on the I Should Have Known podcast. If you're a true crime junkie, I hope you liked it. <laughs> and as always, thanks for listening. Pickles. Yeah, pickles. <laughs>